actually be in Luke 7. So if you guys have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 7. Um, I won't be expounding on every single thing in what we're talking about. Really, I'm just trying to cover life, and I'm just trying to cover resurrection and what that looks like with us today. And it's going to be simple. I'm not going to get too deep or it's going to be theological, but just simple and enough. We're going to be in Luke 7, and so for myself, instead of starting something new, I thought this morning I'd just continue teaching through the gospel because that's what we're doing on Wednesdays. Every Wednesday here, if you didn't know, um, we're teaching through the gospel. Pastor Jack Abelin. Anybody know Pastor Jack Abelin? Yes? Yeah? Okay. Pastor Jack Abelin created a template um, of the gospel. So he did the work, did his best, following the footsteps of Jesus chronologically. Right? So this is why we jump from book to book quite often. Because even though the writers are telling the same story, each gospel has its own emphasis on Jesus' ministry. They highlight something different all the time. So there are stories and teachings that you would not find within the other gospels or other accounts. This is what makes the good news so unique. For myself, it's a great study. So unique and so rich and so whole when you start to put everything together. And hopefully, it speaks to every heart in this room because Jesus is known to meet people where they're at. That's, that's what it's about, right? God, that's the story of the Bible. God's stepping into this broken world to save broken people. Amen? And as we see Jesus go from place to place and person to person, he doesn't only step into the mess or step into my mess or our mess. He brings us life. Right? So Jesus steps in and he brings us life because that's who he is. He, he's not just a giver of life. He is life. And that's something that's been running through my mind, my heart this week. And so... When Paul uses words like newness of life or he, the Bible says fullness, like fullness of joy or the fullness of God or the fullness of life. And he says things like you've been made alive in Christ. That's not talking about later. I think most of us think we're talking about later. That's not talking about later. That's talking about right now. Like you've been made alive now. Like right now. Today. Not Tomorrow, now, today. So you've been made alive. Now, like joy exploding Christianity is not just for the person next to you. It's for you. Like, right? Jo joy is for you. Ask Justin. Ask Justin and Mark. It's, f it's for you. Right? Jesus said, I came to bring life and life abundant. Right? Jesus is saying life and life of abundance now. Eternal life isn't just some future promise, it's our present reality. Like, that's what we live in today. Like, you want to know what the newness of life is? The newness of life or the fullness of life, or as Jesus says, life and life abundant? It's available. It's available. Like, you want soul-stirring, like joy-exploding Christianity? It's yours. You can have it. <laughs> and oftentimes, I think I myself, this is for me. Maybe it's not for you. I can rob myself of this. I rob myself of this. 
I came in this morning, Justin said, smile, bro. <laughs> Why are you so grumpy? Because I'm usually not. Oftentimes, I feel like I can rob myself from the fullness or this newness or this language that Paul uses, made alive in Christ. Why? Here's what I know. It's not what you say life is, right? It's not what I say life is. It's what Jesus says life is. And so two weeks ago, we just finished the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going through. It, I had an amazing time studying this. I, I, I don't know if people left because of it. Um, I usually just read through it. It only takes about eight minutes to read. Like, you can do it in eight minutes. It took us about 15 weeks to finish. Like, you're probably thinking, that's crazy. It is. But there's something about reading your Bible slowly, real slowly, right? Not just reading it like a newspaper, intentional reading, not passively reading, intentional. Lord, what are you saying right now? And in Matthew 4, it says, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Like, that's what he came for, the gospel of the kingdom. This is what my people look like in my kingdom. And as we went through it, we realized God's kingdom is so upside down. Like I heard Dan say, it's a paradox. It's like, it's, it's backwards. It's not what you think a kingdom looks like. It's not what you think the world looks like. He says stuff like, you want to be rich in your spirit? Like, you want to have wealth in your soul? Empty yourself. You got to be poor. Like, you want peace in your life right now? Like, peace surpassing all understanding? You got to surrender. Stuff like that. Right? You, you want to get? You got to give. Right? You want to gain? You got to sacrifice. Like, you want to live? You got to die. Like, it's upside down. Doesn't even make sense. And after all this, like a good pastor, he finishes the sermon and it goes into another sermon. He doesn't say just treat others the way you want to be treated. Let's pray out. Like he doesn't finish with the golden rule. No, he says there's only two foundations that you can build on. That's it. Two foundations that you can build on. You either obey me or you don't. There's only two trees that bear foot, uh, foot fruit, one good and one bad, right? It's good or it's bad. There's only two roads. One is wide and one is narrow. And Jesus makes it so clear within this sermon that it's him or it's not. That's why I was so, it's, he said it's me or it's not. Like you either obey me or you don't, right? You either follow me or you don't. There's nothing in the middle, like, the kingdom is not about picking and choosing what we like and what we don't like, what's easy for us and what's not. It's all of him for all of you. That's the drum that was beating throughout the Sermon on the Mount. It's all of me for all of you. That's the deal, right? And so Jesus is saying, don't mistake in me in this kingdom for one road among many. There's only two roads, one that leads to life and the other that leads to death. Like, that's it. Like, you want newness of life? You want to know what the newness of life? You want joy exploding Christianity like them over there? You got to step all the way in. Like, it cannot be all of him for just some of you. Right? It cannot be all of him for just 20% of you. It cannot be all of him and I'm just going to get sober. 
Like, it cannot be all of him, and I'm just going to stop sleeping around. It's got all of him, and I'm just going to come to church. No, it's all of him for all of you, for your joy and his glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? It's all of him for all of you. That's the deal. You want life? This is what Jesus says. You want life? You want life abundant? Follow me. And then he steps off the mount, like drops the mic. This isn't talking about works, and I'm not talking about works. I'm definitely not talking about works right now. You're not saved by works. Ephesians 2 says you've been saved by grace through faith. That's how you've been saved. This is talking about here life-giving, heart-changing, soul-stirring intimacy with the God of the Bible. That's what this is, and it's available. It's not hidden. He makes himself available here, right here, through his word. Jesus said it, those who find their life here will lose it. But those who lose their life for my name's sake will find it. And he says, what would it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Which now brings us into Luke 7. I'm not going to exegetically expound on every verse. I I just kind of had this thought, and I I just wanted to hit again on life, and I wanted to hit on resurrection. I wanted to just hit on that, just just that today. And it's going to be simple and be easy. You'll be out here. You'll be out of here quickly. I don't have a lot. I'm sorry, Gordon. We're going to have to wait to eat. You're going to have to wait to eat. You're going to have to talk to each other today. I'm going to read verse 1. It says this, when he had completed all his discourse, actually, I'm going to read it all. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, which is the sermon, he went to Capernaum. I'm reading out of NASB. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. That's amazing. You don't see that too often in the Bible. Centurions are always presented in a good light every time they're mentioned. Now, Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to his house, they found the slave in good health. Like, there's a lot of things going on in here. You can do your study on it. Like I said, I'm just focusing on one thing. Now, verse 1, and as we're going to read through 17, um, the next chapter is actually what I'm teaching on just a little bit. Uh, 1 through 17, talk about two miracles. One miracle, like we just read, is the healing of someone that was sick, as it says, and they were ready to die. And so the healing was about somebody who was sick, and they were ready to die. And then starting in verse 11, he travels south, we're going to see, and raises someone from the dead. 
Now, as awesome as that may sound, right, that's cool. Like Jesus is on it. As awesome as that may sound, I want us to remember that the word miracle is also translated as signs in the Greek, okay? Like, not that you care about the Greek. They're translated as signs. Jesus did many signs and wonders because that's what they are. Signs are meant to point us to something other than itself. Get it? Right? Signs are always meant to point to something other than itself. Now, we have to be careful because if that's all we're here for, then we're missing the point. Right? Because most of the people that followed Jesus were not after him. They were after his stuff. Right? So they were after his stuff. They didn't want him. They wanted his stuff. We'll go read John 6 as he feeds the 5,000. And so we have to understand that the signs and miracles are not the primary focus in ministry. They are secondary. Now, nothing wrong with that. When I'm sick, I want Myrna and Auntie Jean, get the oil and pray for me. Like, this is good, right? That's what we do, but it's not the primary focus. Our, but our primary focus in ministry is what Jesus said in Luke 19, that I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. He came to seek, and he came to save the lost. So that means our primary focus in the church today is salvation, the saving of our soul, and the maturing of the faith, which is ultimately knowing and loving Jesus. That's what maturity in your faith, knowing and loving Jesus. Right? If I can tell you to do anything, it's knowing him and loving him. That's Christian maturity. It's not about, Jesus said it. I think you guys went over it. Jesus said it. If you love me, you'll what? Obey me. Not because you have to, because you want to. See, like, you can do nice things for people but not love them. You can do nice things for people but not care about them. This is why over time, and I've seen this over and over and over and over again, Christianity becomes weighty and Christianity becomes hard and frustrating. This is why people get burned out. And after a while, it just looks like begrudging submission over here. Oh, I just got to do it. That's what the Bible says. That's what it And people get burned out. I've seen it over and over again. So what do we do? This is on a side note. I just like this. It works, it works like this. Psalm says, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, right? So delight yourself in him. That's the first command. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I, he I heard a lot of bad teachings on this. They turn it into some kind of prosperity gospel. What this is saying is as you delight yourself in God, as you give yourself over to him, to know him and to love him, he will begin to change your will to follow his will. And ultimately, your desires become his desires, right? Then Christianity is no longer coming in here and checking off all the boxes, right? No longer does it become just something that I have to do. But your love for Jesus will produce glad-hearted obedience and not begrudging submission, glad-hearted obedience, and it is a joy. That's what becomes the joy. 
If you're going to give your, if you're going to use your time and energy on anything, this is just on the side, use it on delighting in the Lord. Give yourself over to Jesus and the kingdom. And if it means putting on worship music, because that's what I do, daily, listening to a sermon, spending time in prayer, reading through a passage, calling someone, call someone, talk about them. Find those things that stir up your affections for the Lord daily. Amen? Yeah. Are we good? Yeah. I'm not, right? Oh, that's, it's not heresy, right? Okay. <laughs> now, now I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I read the first story, and Josh actually, uh, Josh Beal, if you guys know Josh Beal, he taught on this um, on Wednesday. But in this story, we read that it says that Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. So we have to know the centurion is a Roman officer. He wasn't Jewish, right? He didn't grow up memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Rome had their own gods. It was said that they worshipped everything that moved. That's how many gods. And yet Jesus would say to the crowd, not even in Israel have I found such great faith like him. And as we see many different groups of people within these stories, we see that everyone has one thing in common. Sickness and death hits everybody the same way. Right? Nobody is left out. Sickness and death hits everybody the same way. It is, it is what every human being has in common. There isn't a person in this world that is excused from this. And this isn't just our physical reality, but I need to see this as our spiritual reality today. There is a real spiritual death, and there is a real spiritual life, and we need to grab onto this, right? Like, we're not coming in here to just read, like, this is for our spiritual life or spiritual death. And what this centurion knew about Jesus is the greatest truth that could ever be known to you and to me. Apart from any God that he ever worshipped, apart from anything that he ever prayed to, this centurion knew that Jesus was the only one that could save his servant's life. This centurion knew that Jesus was the only one who can heal his servant. There is no other God. And we know that he healed him. And we know that he saved him from death. But the question is, do we believe this for our lives? That's the question. Do you believe this? Do we believe that there is no life if it's not saved by Jesus? Because as we're about to see, Jesus not only saves lives, but he is the giver of life. And apart from him, there is no life, which brings us into the next scene. Let's read that. Verse 11 says this, Soon afterwards, he went into a city called Nain. Nain or Nain? Nain. Probably Nain. And his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. 
and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Then the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them on. They began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding regions, district. In this next scene, Jesus makes his way into a city called Nain, just after healing this kid. And as we see, he enters into a funeral, taking, taking place right outside of the city. And we know that there is brokenness and that there is pain, but Jesus always steps into the mess. See, the miracle wasn't the healing of the sick. This boy was not dying. He's already dead. And what we see Jesus do is unthinkable. Because not only does he have the authority, as he just said, over sickness and disease, but he has authority over death itself. And this is all I wanted us to see. Like, if we're going to get anything out of this, this is it. I just want you to see that. In John 11, there's a similar story as Jesus raises a man named Lazarus from the dead. Lazzy. We know in this story, Martha called Jesus while Lazarus was still alive at this point. But when Jesus got there, it was already too late. Way too late. Lazarus wasn't only dead, but he was dead dead. Like he was dead for four days dead. But Jesus' response was, Do you believe Lazarus is in a better place, Martha? Did he say that? Hey, Martha, do you believe that Lazarus is in a better place? He didn't say that. Was his response, do you believe that one day you'll see him again? And Martha believed in the resurrection. Hey, Jewish people knew that. That there would happen one day, just not that day. And Jesus' response to her is, I am the resurrection and the life. That's the response. It's not, hey, are you going to see him one day? Do you know that he's in a better place? No, he's trying to reorient her mind to right now. This is why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. Jesus is saying the resurrection is not just some future event. It's right now. Like, I'm not going to raise Lazarus up someday. I'm going to give him life now. Like, that's what it is. It's right now. And for, we know, we all know, there's a future rapture coming. Praise God. There's a future rapture coming. We know a physical resurrection is waiting for us, but that's not what this is saying. No way. The point that Jesus is making is resurrection life starts today. Now. Like this second. Like, like it just happened. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. This is what last week was all about. The tomb is empty. Like we hear it every year. The tomb is empty is empty. Jesus is alive, and because he lives, we get to live, right? Victory over death is not something that happens when we get to heaven. Like, victory over death is not some future expectation. Victory over death is our present reality. Now, 
right now. You and I get to live now how God designed life to be lived. You want fullness of life, you can have it. It's available. You want newness of life, it's yours. You want joy exploding Christianity, it's here now and it's only found in Jesus. There is no life apart from him, physically and spiritually. No life. And any other life is not life if it's not in him. That's all I want us to know. Any other life is not life if it's not in him. And so the question this morning is, do you believe this? I'm not, talki- I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm not talking about mom and dad. Do you believe this? Yourself. Do you believe that there is no other life if it's not Jesus? You. Do you believe that the Son of God came for you? That's what it's saying. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus rose again for your sins? Do you believe these things? You, not anybody else. You. And if so, step in. Like, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Step in and receive life and life abundant. But it's not what you say life is. It's what Jesus says life is. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this reminder, Lord. 30 minutes, perfect. God, I thank you for every man and woman and children in this building. Father God, I pray that you would speak to them your word and truth. And God, that they would respond rightly to you. Not to dismiss your corrections, not to dismiss your teachings, not to dismiss anything, Lord God, but to receive it and ultimately knowing that it's for our joy and your glory. We love you and we praise you this morning. I pray that we would leave encouraged and ready to continue to live for you day in and day out. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say,